We'll have two scripture texts this morning, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. We'll begin by reading from Zechariah chapter 9, from verse 9 to verse 13. This is God's word for us this morning. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. And then we'll turn over to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll read Matthew 21 from verses 1 to 11. This is the Gospel of Matthew's telling of the story of Palm Sunday. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I've had a uh, particular personal problem for a number of years, and I actually don't think it's a problem, but a number of my family and friends do. And this problem is that I cannot stand it when Hollywood makes movies out of books that I love. I cannot stand it when the movies get the books wrong. So I go to the movie theater, and I sit there, or I sit at home more often these days, and I just inwardly go, and sometimes externally do that too to the dismay of those around me. But I watch these movies and I think you're getting the story wrong. That's not what that character was all about. How could you drop that scene? That tells what the whole story is aimed at. Why in the world are you adding this extra stuff? That line, it doesn't ring true with the story. You're just getting it wrong. I find these movies so frustrating, and so sometimes we don't even watch them anymore, or at least people don't watch them with me, (laughs) because they get it wrong. That's actually a pretty small thing, right? And I'm working on getting better about it. I really am. But it's hard when there's a story that you know should go a certain way, and it just keeps going wrong. A movie you can walk out of the theater and leave it behind you, 
But when bigger things in life are going wrong, it's hard not to get all hung up on that. And in the background of the text that we read for Zechariah and for Matthew today, big, big things are going wrong. The whole story isn't right. The world keeps on going wrong. We read about all these promises in Zechariah of what the Lord is going to do for his people, but the world's still going wrong. Zechariah 9, verses 1 to 8, the section before the verses that we read for today, is basically a list. And it's a list of all the enemies of God's people that God is going to wipe out and destroy and do away with and put down. And then Zechariah 9, 9 comes and tells the people, rejoice and shout aloud. The king is coming. He's going to make everything right. God will destroy all the enemies of his people. And that is a story worth celebrating. And those promises, that story, that sense that this is how this should go, that's what's behind Matthew 21. That's what gets the people all excited. They expect that Jesus is the king who's finally come. And finally, he's going to make everything right. Finally, the evil nations will be destroyed. Finally, God's people will be delivered. Finally, 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 here comes the king, and he will make things go right. But God's people had been in that place so many times before, and things just kept going wrong. Even when things were supposed to be better, something always got derailed. And God's people had lived for centuries in the reality that the story always went bad. In Zechariah's time, the people had just come back from exile. Most of the people of Israel had just been scattered among the nations, and they were gone. They weren't coming back. But a few people, a pitiful few really, had been allowed to come back to Jerusalem, come back to the promised land. But they were a poor and powerless people. They didn't really have a kingdom worth celebrating at all. They were subject to the powers and the principalities, to the kingdoms of the world, and things just were not good. And in the time of Jesus, that was the story too. Yeah, they had a kingdom, they had a temple, they had some of the things they should have, but they were under oppressive Roman rule. God's people didn't have any kind of kingdom worth bragging about, hardly even worth celebrating. Life didn't look how it was supposed to. And the people kept looking and hoping and praying for that king to come, the one who would make things right. And before Jesus came, there was this long list of celebrity teachers and so-called great leaders who were going to usher in this new age, but they'd all fizzled away or gotten wiped out by the Romans. So the people kept hoping, but despite God's promises, things just were not right. Now, we live at a very, very different point in history today, but things are still not right in this world. Despite God's promises, the story is still going wrong. The war in Syria has dragged on for years and years and years at this point. And if you followed the news this week, there were stories of chemical weapons being used against civilians. Chemical weapons against civilians. What kind of world do we live in where that can happen? 
few weeks ago, I guess about a month now, Roseland CRC joined us for morning worship. And as part of their time here, they shared the story of a woman whose son had been going just about his regular business, regular routine one day, and he got gunned down on the street. And that's not unusual in Roseland. Their church is full of stories like that. How in the world can there be a place where that's just routine? How can the world be so broken? The world just keeps going wrong. And it's not just the world out there. It's us in here too. We bend and we twist the story too. We get the story wrong. God's people even get the story wrong. In Zechariah's time, the people had been allowed to return to the promised land, and they'd come back with a burst of enthusiasm, but it hadn't lasted. Yeah, they were back in the land, but things weren't that great, and so they sort of stepped away from God's promises. They didn't rebuild the temple like they were supposed to. They didn't really get back into serving the Lord in the way that He had instructed them. They just drifted off to other things. Instead of really claiming God's instructions and living in His way, they were just coasting. They didn't really look that different from any of the other peoples around them. And that was true at Jesus' time too. Some of the people were cozying up to the Romans and trying to get in on the political powers and play the game so they could have what they wanted. And other people were calling for revolution and saying, let's throw them out and make our own kingdom. But all those groups, and there were many of them, but all of them, they looked just like the world. They weren't really calling for God's kingdom anymore. They just wanted their way. They'd pretty much all lost the plot. They weren't living like God's special people anymore. They were just a bunch of squabbling political parties. On Palm Sunday, it seems like the crowd that was welcoming Jesus was singing the wrong song. I mean, maybe they got the words right, but they meant the wrong thing by it. They were calling for a king who would fulfill their plans, not celebrating the coming of the king who would do what God wanted. Really, those people on Palm Sunday wanted a king just like the rest of the world had. They'd gone their own way. And it's easy for us to look at those people back then and think about, oh, how they were getting it so terribly wrong. But we do the same thing too. We get the story wrong. We get distracted. We want what we want instead of what God intends for us. We cheer on Jesus when he seems to support our cause. But we step back and we fall silent when Jesus seems like he's going he's gonna to challenge what we want. He's going to challenge our desires. He's going to tell us to do things differently. We too are happy to employ Jesus to support our lifestyles, our politics, our wants. But if God's plan differs from our plan, all of a sudden we have a hard time following along. There's this old Newsboys song called Lost the Plot. The song's addressed to God and it goes, the chorus goes sigh and they actually sing sigh. Let's be blunt. We're a little distracted. What do you want? Once we could follow, now we cannot. You would not fit our image, and so we lost the plot. Once we could hear you, 
Now our sensors are shot. We have lost the plot. We're all a little distracted sometimes. We're all a little unfaithful sometimes. We all lose the plot. We want all the benefits of having God on our side, but we don't want to pay the cost that comes with following Him. And there is always a cost. We want a king to save us, but we don't want a king to rule over us. We want God to be on call for us all the time, but we'll call Him. He shouldn't call us. We get the story wrong. And I'm not saying this to beat anyone up here. And I'm not saying this just about the people out there in the world. This is all of us. It's just what we do as broken people. But unless we realize that we're doing it, we can't do anything to change it. And now this is one of those points where a sermon can go a couple directions. One direction is to say, try harder. Have better intentions. Do better next time. Work more. And there's probably some truth down that road. We could all do more. But honestly, if we haven't gotten it right yet, do we really think that trying harder next time is going to make any difference? If we've lost the plot, if we're doing our own thing instead of God's thing, is trying harder next time really going to change that? I don't know that it is. So this sermon isn't going to be about try harder. It's going to be about look to the one who gets the story right. Look to the one who gets the story right. And Jesus is the one who gets the story right. So let's look to Jesus. And Jesus, when he comes, he comes as king of the whole world. Jesus comes in this story as a victorious and peaceful thing, and he brings a kingdom that conquers the whole world. But he's not the kind of king, and it's not the kind of kingdom that anybody expected. The Palm Sunday crowd expected change. They expected their national borders to be expanded. They expected to have more political clout to beat on the nations around them. And that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't expand the borders of one nation. Instead, he blew out the borders of his kingdom to include the whole world. God's people were and are sometimes too big on who's in and who's out. And at Jesus' time, if you belonged to the Jewish people, you were in and the rest of the world was out. But Jesus' true kingdom redefines that. It's no longer about our ethnicity, our nationality, our race, or anything. It's about whether you belong to Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, regardless of where you're coming from, you belong in God's kingdom. And this kingdom that Jesus brings fills the whole world. My parents live in the Middle East in a very, very diverse area. We were there to visit them the last couple weeks, and we went to church with them. And in their church building, there's this huge billboard in the lobby. It's maybe 15, 20 feet high, maybe 10 feet wide. And on that billboard is listed all the different church services there are that week, all the different congregations that meet in this one building. 
And there's probably 50 or 60 congregations on that list. And as you look across the list, it goes name of church, name of pastor, time they meet, language they speak in that service. And there are probably 50 churches, probably one dozen, maybe even two dozen languages who gather in this one building every single week to praise the Lord. God's kingdom goes all around the world. Everything. Everything. And all the peoples of the world drawn from all the nations, they all serve Christ as king. All the peoples of the world are welcome there, even us. But it's not as if this kingdom doesn't have any borders or boundaries. In the kingdom of God, only good is allowed. It's not that Jesus comes and he pushes the other nations out. It's that Jesus comes and he pushes evil out. All who wish to follow God are welcome in this kingdom, but evil is not. And so as Jesus comes, he pushes evil away, off the map, out of the kingdom, into the darkness. Everyone who follows Jesus is welcome to come in, but evil is pushed out. Of course, we don't see this completely today. Syria, Roseland, our own neighborhoods, our own schools, our own families, they show us that evil is still very much active in the world. But Matthew 21 wants us to see this story as the beginning of the fulfillment of Zechariah 9. Matthew wants us to cry Hosanna and to rejoice in the coming of Jesus. And that story of Palm Sunday goes through Good Friday and through Easter. And Jesus begins to bring God's kingdom then and there. But it doesn't quite go how we'd expect. Even today, we're still waiting for God to finish the story. We can talk about Palm Sunday. We look toward Good Friday this week. In a week, we'll celebrate Easter and Christ's resurrection. We can look to Jesus to find the great king and the better kingdom. But we're still waiting for the final victory. The Bible doesn't give us a hope that's fulfilled right here and now. The Bible doesn't give us a simple hope that we can just say, oh, everything will be better tomorrow. And it doesn't give us a hope that says, if we just work harder and we do enough, we can make the world right. Evil is powerful. And evil endures beyond what we would expect. But still, when we read these passages, we can see that Jesus has truly begun to bring God's kingdom. His kingdom has come and is coming. But in in a surprising twist, Jesus' kingdom doesn't always come with obvious power and might. It often comes with humility and suffering. Humility and suffering were surprising marks of the work of Christ. And humility, suffering, patience, those are surprisingly persistent features of the Christian life too. We know that Jesus is the king. We know that he will make things all right someday. But for today, we serve, we wait, we suffer, and we pray. We trust that Jesus will bring his kingdom totally one day. 
but we're not to that day yet. And so we wait. But even as we wait, even as we wait, Jesus is at work in the world and he's at work in us. And even in this in-between time, Jesus transforms us, his people. Jesus, even now, is transforming us. When you first learn to write or when you first learn to type, often you make a mess of it. You get things wrong. You get your O's and your A's mixed up or you forget to dot your I's and cross your T's. Often the stories we write in our lives, the things we do as we try to figure out life, often they're a mess. They're like our first attempts at typing or writing. They don't quite make sense. Things are just not right. But God has a much greater story in mind. Often we're scratching away at our pathetic little plans and God comes and he takes the pen away from us. And bit by bit, he helps us to see what his great, wonderful, amazing, transformative plan is for us. We'd like Jesus to come as the great king who helps us fulfill all of our plots, who uses his power to help us get our way. But that's not what Jesus does. Instead, he comes and he applies his power to transforming us, to help us learn what the true story of God's work is and to lean into that story. In the Old Testament, God promised to defeat and to crush the enemies of his people, and we often see him doing that. But we also see God fighting against, overcoming, reshaping his own people. When God's own people get off on the wrong plot, the Lord gets them back. Over and over again, he breaks down their plans and brings them back to his plan. The Lord doesn't bring us into his kingdom without changing us. We've been granted citizenship in the greatest kingdom ever if we belong to Jesus, but being a citizen in that kingdom means that we have to change. The Lord doesn't usually give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. We're distracted. We're unfaithful. We lose the plot. And yet patiently, over and over again, with all the gentleness and all the love and all the persistence that we could ever ask for, God works in us to make us who we're supposed to be. Honestly, one of the freedoms that the Lord gives us is freedom from our own plans. What we plan, what we even dream is nothing at all, nothing at all as good as what God has planned for each of us. The benefits of being in Christ are more than we could ever ask or imagine. When I was in college, I once took a course on Hollywood and the Bible with some friends, and you can debate if this was a wise move given my struggle with movies anyway. So we watched all these movies of Bible stories, and you can guess how I felt about them, right? All these movies just got the stories wrong. They dropped all these important parts. They changed characters. They had these weird things going on that sometimes were totally totally the opposite of what this book actually wants to say to us. Movie makers struggle to adapt any book, but when it comes to God's word, they can really miss the mark. 
often what the Bible has to say, the story that it gives us just doesn't even fit what these humans try to put on the screen. But that's true for our lives too. Often the stories we read in this book and the ways we try to live them out just don't match up. We get the story wrong. Always we get the story wrong. But God gets the story right. And we can trust that God will get the story right. All the promises that we read about in the Bible, God will fulfill. God will do away with evil. God's king will come and deliver us from all that is wrong and broken in our lives. If we belong to Christ, we can be confident that we know how the story goes. Things may look wrong right now, but God will make them right. God's promises always come true. God's plans are always fulfilled. And God promises that His King will come and will make everything right. So on this Palm Sunday, let's rejoice in the reality that our King and our Savior has come. And let's rejoice in the hope that He will come again and make everything right.